Welcome to the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. I'm Aaron Weldon. And I'm Mary McCluskey. Earlier this year, we spoke with our colleague, Robert Vega, from the Defense of Marriage office here at the Bishops' Conference, and he talked to us about some of our concerns about the upcoming Congress. Today, he's back uh, to talk with us more specifically about the Equality Act. Uh, There have been some changes in the past couple months. Um, Things are happening or things have been moving, and so um, he's here to let us know what's going on. So thanks for taking the time. I know you've been really busy lately, so thanks for coming to chat with us for a little bit. Absolutely. Thank you for having me again. And uh, yes, I'd say the uh, the movement on the Equality Act has definitely been uh, stepping up in the last several weeks and, and keeping us quite busy. Um, and you're, but you're smiling right now. So, well, I'm you just keep happy on to be smiling. here. <laughs> oh wow! Oh, he's like our nicest guest so far. Wow. Um, you're not, but you're not coming in looking. But, or maybe you just put on the smile to to keep from sobbing, the, the crying inside. <laughs> well, it's early in the day. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe he's amused by the phrase "equality act" because, right. of course, like I'm get like a lot of legislation. It's called something, but does something actually very different from what it's called, right? Essentially, I mean, you know, of course, there's <laughs> an argument from proponents that they, you know. Do feel like they are achieving equality for their intended beneficiaries in some way, but you know, from our position, this thing really does a lot more harm than you know than any ostensible good to a wide range of institutions and individuals and charitable beneficiaries and whatnot. Well, first of all, why don't you go ahead and remind us uh, what the just the basics, what the Equality Act aims to do at least i mean obviously we're not going to go through all the text of it but and then but then also this issue of what it's called i mean we've kind of talked a little bit in our office in religious liberty about the how difficult it is to overcome a certain perception about it because you just keep saying the name equality act so maybe after you say what it does i'm curious if at some point in this conversation have you thought of of an alternative (laughs) title (laughs) for it like something else (laughs) Something well, else that let's, we could let's call tackle it for the first question. Purpose. Okay, what does it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Attain, but first, say what it is. Try to do. Sure. Right. So, at the Equality Act takes a whole list of federal civil rights, non-discrimination laws, the Civil Rights Act, Fair Housing Act, jury selection rules, um, equal credit opportunity, government employment, and inserts the terms sexual orientation and gender identity into the definition of sex. It actually creates a definition of sex and then inserts them into it. That's the biggest push. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the biggest change to federal law, but it also greatly expands the definition of public accommodations Mm -hmm. that are covered under the Civil Rights Act. It applies sex, both originally and with this new expanded definition to public accommodations laws and federal funding non-discrimination laws where it hasn't existed before. It also adds some language about pregnancy to the definition of sex, which is raising some flags in the pro-life community. It's still kind of trying to figure out what the fine points of the implications there may be. Um, But basically, I mean, the idea there is that there's this. There seems to be the possibility that this could be used to require that even in Catholic hospitals that you all hospitals as public accommodations have to 
provide abortions, right? That's is that one is that a concern? That is the that possibility is the concern. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's been it, it's still very much under discussion as to whether that possibility is a probability under the act. Mm-hmm. But so basically, I mean, just the problem in general, just from the underlying premise that the government is that would be deciding. So you said that they're creating a definition of gender, right? Of sex. Of sex. Well, and then okay. and a definition of gender identity, which is itself is very circular and untenable. But. Well, and which even if they're defining it narrowly in the, you know, how how are they defining that term in the legislation? Because it, it, or maybe they're not because people could then use that for to mean all sorts of different things. Right. With the gender identity. Right. With gender identity. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, it, it's first part is, you know, a gender identity is a gender related identity. That's pretty circular. I don't know what, what you're supposed to do with that. And then it also um, goes on to include that, you know, this may be expressed in, you know, mannerisms and, and expre- expressions and things like that. And it leaves it completely up to an individual to assert at any given time what their identity is with no real criteria. And also kind of counterintuitively in the process, like, it solidifies stereotypes, mm-hmm. if, if, you, if you think of it. Like, you know, it says that your womanness or your manness depends on, you know, what, what your mannerisms are, what you, you know, what you talk like, what you dress like, what, what you like to do. Mm. You know, and that, and that is, you know, what helps define whether you're a man or a woman. So for a bill that's ostensibly progressive, it's really kind of quite regressive. Plays into in those stereotypes way. of what yeah. is to be feminine or masculine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and you had mentioned earlier, you know, Aaron, had there been like alternative, you know, titles offered. And I, I hadn't made any myself, but there have been some women from, you know, describe themselves as radical leftist feminists who oppose the bill because they believe it erases the legal status of women. Hmm. Because if woman is no longer tied to a biological reality and anyone can just assert it, then all of the hard-won protections and advancements of women across the federal legal sphere are essentially muted. And so they, and actually to be, you know, we, ha- we have allies in that space, but there's also conservative women's groups as well. And I, can- I should say, I can't remember which put forward, you know, this name, but one of, yeah, one of them uh, has wanted to call it the Female Erasure Act. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I mean, I, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but whenever I just this morning was kind of reading over uh, over the bill the, and just the general sense that I get reading it is that it does seem to make the even just the idea of a distinction between male and female seems like it does can't have any purchase for the purpose of law and how and how you operate things like like a business or like with things like with restrooms or any kind of public facilities, you're just reading it. You're kind of like you may as well just say that there's no difference between there's no such thing as right. man and woman, or that anyone can go anywhere, do anything, and can change their sex daily depending on what they want to think it is that day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so what does this practically mean for let's say a Catholic hospital, or I mean, you mentioned even jury selection? Does that mean that? Um, I don't know, for example, like I'm trying to bring it down to like concrete examples, like um, in selecting a jury of, say, 12 people, right, that the um, 
you know, you'd have to have six men and six women, right? But you could end up with all six people biologically being male because half of them identify as female. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about? I'm just trying to envision like practically right. what this would mean. Well, the, the most immediate, the most immediate grounds there, which, you know, frankly, is not one of our top concerns out of the many in this bill sure, sure. is in you know, in jury selection, your you know, lawyers are when they're going through the pool, interviewing the different, you know, prospective jurors, they're allowed a certain number of strikes, uh, you know, peremptory strikes just without reason to, uh, you know, dismiss, you know, prospective juror unless it's on the grounds of, you know, something like race, you know, a prohibited, you know, a class for, you know, where discrimination is prohibited. So this would add sexual orientation and gender identity to those grounds. So you can't, you know, so you can't just dismiss a prospective juror because they seem, you know, you know, they seem to identify as gay or present as gay or, you know, present as transgender. Got it. So I, I suppose a second order effect, you know, we might, you know, could look toward, well, if there's a an unfair gender imbalance in a jury that's so prejudiced the situation in a, in a particular case where the gender imbalance was made possible by transgender status among some of the members yeah that could be you know an interesting prospect you know down the line but um but there is a little i mean you mentioned though this public accommodations piece of it there i mean is there some concern that this could be applied to churches i mean that's i think proponents of it want to say no 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 that's not that's not possible we're talking about things like schools and hospitals but i mean oftentimes churches use their space for more than just worship services they may have like a you know some kind of meal program and then in that case it would this apply to to the church only in so far as it's running the meal program or but i mean that's still well, kind of you're applying it to that that's still a single a single institution uh, so is this is this a concern that is this one of our bigger concerns um, yeah all of that is all of that is exactly right in that's also one of the updates in the equality act which is uh, up until a week ago the equality act had any place of gathering included in its definition of public accommodations so that could very much include even the sanctuary of a house of worship really mm -hmm. um much less the you know all of the ministries and uh charities and multi-purpose you know hosting spaces you know, uh, you know that uh, that append to it taking up that concern uniquely among all of our concerns the house judiciary committee actually did change the language in the bill just last week during the markup on uh, april uh april 29 to change it to place of public gathering. Mm -hmm. That is meant to assuage some of these concerns a little bit, but it's still kind of unclear to what extent the you know worshipers at a church service are a public gathering versus mm -hmm. a private club sort of um, mm -hmm. atmosphere, which has some historical exemption grounds. But then as you as you point out, many times, you know, even even well within the church's, you know, the house of worship's grounds and multi-purpose space and office space and whatnot, you're having you're having soup kitchens, you're having social events, you're having um, some you know some sort of sheltering or accommodation, uh, or maybe you're you know renting out some 
attached space to other you know, organizations or events, but you still want to maintain some control over what goes on at those events. You know, in all of these cases, you're still likely a place of public gathering and therefore a public accommodation and therefore subject to these terms. Um, and so your, your restrooms may have to accommodate people who want to use the restroom of the opposite sex. Your, you know, spaces, uh, you know, your shared spaces may have to celebrate some same sex celebratory event essentially mm -hmm. so yeah that's absolutely a uh, you know a strong concern of ours at this time mm -hmm. i mean what are some of our other big concerns i mean one of i i think i know in my office at least in religious liberty one of the things we've really been concerned about is is adoption and foster care and as i look at this this basically looks like if this were to pass and be signed by the by a president it's not going to be signed it's not going to pass and be signed this term but but if it ever were to come to be enacted i mean it's the end of catholic adoption at least that was adoption and foster care services as far as best as i can tell i mean is that accurate or am i being oh, absolutely and in fact and that's not even a that's not even an unintended consequence because it's right uh it's right there spelled out in two paragraph sections within the findings part of the bill mm. which is kind of the inoperative introductory rhetoric before you know before the bill and there are two two parts where uh they the language really rails against faith-based adoption and foster care agencies mm -hmm. yeah yeah basing I mean, basing it on what their their argument is what that that's discriminatory right because you know some some faith-based adoption and foster agencies including especially catholic ones believe a you know, a child has a right to a mother and a father. It is mm -hmm. sadly the case that sometimes it is not safe to be with the natural mother and the natural father, but we try to, you know, fulfill that right as best we can in our in our placements. And, you know, for honoring that child's right, you know, the it it's termed discrimination insofar as the adults, as if the adults are, you know, the, the primary beneficiaries. And of course we want to help, you know, a family grow in love as, as, as well. And, but, you know, we try to put the, you know, we're trying to put the children first in this right. situation, but, but it's to honor their rights is to discriminate against, you know, the adults who uh, want, you know, to adopt a child if they're a same sex couple and you that's know, we're what, unable to work yeah, with them. And that's, that's what the proponents of this would say. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think that the adoption piece is, is interesting just because you know, whenever I was younger, the the main argument you heard in favor of marriage redefinition was you would hear things like why does it matter to you it's not going to affect you in any way why can't these people just just they they just want to have a a regular middle class life and it's not going to have any effect on you like why do you why do you want to legislate what goes on in people's in the privacy of people's homes and all this kind of stuff i mean mm -hmm. it was kind of a libertarian like just live and let live sort of thing mm -hmm. And it's really striking then to now to to see how when you consider, especially in the adoption context, it's like it wasn't just about what people do in the privacy of their own home, because now you're actually changing the nature of what you think a family is and you're or the nature of, of human beings like this whole this bill is saying we all have to accept or at least when we're out in public, we all have to to act as if we all assent to this 
radically different idea of what people right. are. Which means that in private, right, that that's the way you live as well, right? Yeah, You're yeah. In your home, that's, yep. Yeah, it was never, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the libertarian argument was just a way to, was sort of a way to get in, but it's much more, it's a much more expansive thing than that. But so I want to hear now, I mean, so that's, it seems like that's what the argument used to be more just like, how's it going to affect you? Now on this particular thing with the Equality Act, you know, some of the, one of the things you're going to hear that I, you know, we should address is that there are people who identify as gay or transgender who are um, denied housing or they they are fired from their jobs just because they're they're gay. Like fired for being gay is a phrase you will mm-hmm. see and see out there or, or hear. And so this, you know, the argument is that that they need legal protection. That's not right. If, if that they're that they're being treated this way, they're being singled out or they're being bullied or that's that's kind of that's the line of reasoning behind this, right? And then you'll hear some Catholics who are sympathetic to that also saying that people like us were making that the bishops are making too big of a deal of this, that we're being alarmist or whatever. I mean, Robert, how what are some ways that we would respond? How do you respond to that? You know, I definitely don't think, of course, that we ought to discount the personal painful experiences of uh, people who may face some sort of malicious harassment or unjust discrimination uh, yeah, against them because of you know their same-sex attraction or their you know gender incongruity or what have you you know we obviously stand by the dignity and you know decent treatment of everyone and there are certainly instances out there in the whole of the country in the whole of decades where you know people have people have been treated that way in in public life and but that does not amount in our view to at least presently in the current environment that does not amount to the same kind of widespread systemic institutionalized discrimination that has historically warranted the federal intervention of the Civil Rights Act and the Fair Housing Act, etc. You know that that you know that legacy is is from the egregious, structured, widespread racism of you know the past decades, for example. And we're not seeing that, especially today, in the context of sexual orientation and gender identity. You see individual instances, while at the same time, the media the academy, local governments, corporate America, public event organizers, all, all, you know, all sorts of sectors are celebrating and promoting sexual orientation and gender identity. And that really kind of has, uh, really has a more favored view in, you know, in the public widespread sort of sense. Whereas the systemic harms really seem to be you know, the shutting down of adoption foster care agencies in entire states, shelters getting getting sued because they're not housing biological men and women together. What's going on in in sports with mm. men being allowed to compete with women, the wedding vendor industry and across a whole range of types of services being you know being litigate, litigated against across the country constantly. That seems to be more of the systemic direction now. And it's a little I have to say it's a little telling and ironic too where in one of the congressional committee proceedings in recent weeks regarding the Equality Act, when some Republicans raised examples of 
partic- some particular examples of unfair athletic competitions uh, taking place with boys, young men competing as women and demolishing the competition, the Democrats would say, well, we shouldn't legislate based on individual instances. And I just had to think that, well, that's the entire basis for the Equality <laughs> Act at, at this time in any, any way. And uh, so that really would moot the whole process. So I mean, well, it, let me push back a little bit on that because pro-same-sex pro marriage uh, people would argue that the um, that not having same sex marriage was institutionalized uh, institutionalized uh, discrimination against them, right? And like I can remember a long time ago, one of the arguments for same sex marriage was that same sex partners were not allowed to be married, therefore they could not have uh, spouse benefits in in healthcare. They couldn't even visit their partner in the hospital because they weren't technically married. So, I mean, what what would be the church's, the, the Catholic response to that? Well, to, to an extent that sort of, I suppose, relitigates Obergefell somewhat. But at least my, you know, my thought had always been that it wasn't that marriage was allowed in a discriminatory manner. It was that marriage inherent in its definition was the difference between the spouses. That was the dictionary definition of marriage. And so to change that was not to make it non-discriminatory, but to change the actual institution itself. And Chief Chief Justice Roberts spoke to that, uh, particularly in oral argument going into Obergefell. So, I mean, so that's more from a you know, a policy standpoint, but, you know, from a, from a church standpoint, I think you, again, don't want people treated meanly. And, you know, maybe there could, you know, could it be more, you know, merciful ways to let people have, who is also, you know, people that are ostensibly best friends also visit them in a hospital or something right. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and to get back a little bit to what we were, you know, saying before, you know, if there's, you know, if there are instances of malicious, unjust harassment, discrimination going on. Like we certainly think that there should still be, you know, remedies for that on more of an individual basis, just not using the broad federal apparatus of the civil, of Mm -hmm. civil rights act, et cetera. You know, but ultimately we need to exercise individual charity, individual mercy, individual empathy in a way that doesn't just completely depart from the pronouncement to the public of what marriage is and what human beings are and how um you know we're made in a complementary form to mirror the you know triune nature of god to bring forth new life and be in communion and covenant with each other and all you know, all mm. of these uh, beautiful things that we believe marriage should you know should ideally reflect um we can't we can't back away from that but that doesn't mean we you know also can't always you know stand to you know be more accompanying and caring and you know, on an individual basis and i and i think in a lot of ways um you know a good example of you know someone who does this would probably be pope francis you know when you hear about conversations that he has you know with with individuals or the guidance he provides to individuals you know who may be struggling in some of these areas where you know where he does not cause a deviation from the truth but also practices the truth in uh, loving and working with you know the individual. The thing is, is I mean, the sense I get with say like schools, for example, is that in dealing with the transgender issue, my general sense from what I've heard from our Catholic education office is that 
I mean, superintendents and principals and school administrators really do try to work with, say, a student who thinks they're transgender. I like. I think that there is that, that Catholics really do try to, as a whole, in general, and we're in ju- and I'm just talking about Catholic institutions, but we'll work with with students to try to to be merciful or be compassionate or to look at the particular circumstances. And something like this, though, actually is taking away any freedom to try to do that because it's saying Mm -hmm. you have to deal with these things in this one particular way that that's the way it's Mm -hmm. it seems to me like it's saying this is the orthodoxy for how you for how you handle these particular situations and so and especially on things as complicated as as gender and sexuality and culture how that relates to culture i mean this is really prescribing one way that we can look at at these sorts of issues, it seems like to me, like when it comes to counseling, for example, you, there are all sorts of complex scenarios I could imagine that could come up with like a somebody who does who's a counselor working with with a person. Um, but if this is saying they have to treat people a certain way or they're going to be they could be accused of being discriminatory. It just it seems like it really it, it, it removes the capacity, a certain capacity from the from the counselor to actually do his or her, her job mm-hmm. as best as he or she thinks she can. I mean, because I think by and large, people who are going to get, you know, rolled over by this, <laughs> if it were to ever become law, they're people who are trying to do the right thing. It's not it's not going to affect mm-hmm. mostly people who are real, who are actual. There, there are actual bigots out there who just are mean. OK, but I mean. I don't think that this is necessarily going to affect them. It's going to affect, you know, people like like a Jack Phillips who in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, when you read about him and that whole story, there's no sense that there was any enmity. It just was he believed he couldn't participate in this particular ritual. It's not even about sexual orientation exactly. I mean, it's just that he wouldn't it's not sure, like he, he would he would have baked any other, you know, cake for yeah, customer. yeah, and he would serve gay. He would serve somebody who identifies as having same-sex attraction. And in fact, one of the things I've thought about with the with the whole cake shop cases is that it shows the status versus conduct distinction. What I mean by that is that you could have a heterosexual couple where one or both of the partners actually experience same-sex attraction, but they're choosing to to have this kind of a marriage. There's not an intrinsic relationship between how a person feels in terms of whether or not they're attracted to persons of the same or the opposite sex and what kind of marriage they have, if that makes any sense. Right. I mean, sure. right. It, not not necessarily. Because right? you're talking about it's, the difference yeah. between desire and then what a person actually does with their, with their bodies. And the cake baker is saying, I'm not going to participate in this particular ceremony. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the internal dispositions of the people he's serving, if that makes any sense. I mean, that sounds kind of weird, but it's still, I think. Well, it was it was embraced by uh, that argument. It was, it was embraced by the Supreme Court in the United Kingdom. They had a bakery case. I think it was called Asher Bakery or something like that. And yeah, a panel of their of their court was unanimous in saying that the you know baker didn't discriminate against the person because of the person's identity or orientation but because of the message that was asked to be mm-hmm. uh, written and displayed on it and the baker won on those grounds our yeah, court yeah. our court as you know was 
much more cautious and narrow in giving you know a victory to Jack Phillips. Yeah, I mean, it's just with these sorts of cases, you're not talking about the the people who are who would be the victims of the Equality Act, like Catholic hospitals. These sorts of judgments aren't based on on something like orientation. For example, one I mean another example to give is like a hypothetical is one of the client proponents of the Equality Act will say that Catholic hospitals discriminate against transgender people. But if a transgender, if a person identifying as transgender shows up with a broken ankle, they're they're not going to not be served because they're not the doctor's not going to say, "Well, right. we don't serve transgender people." It's just at the hospital there are certain procedures that aren't going to be done. That's mm-hmm. it's a matter of what of a vision of what is best for persons that's being carried out in that hospital. They're not saying we're we're not going to you know, if you come in for the flu and you're transgender, we're not going to serve you. That's absurd. It's just that there are certain things that they won't do. And this is exactly <laughs> right. It's not about the who, yeah. it's about the what. Right. But the bill tries to conflate that. Well, yeah. yeah, they try to confuse people about it, I think. Well, and I like, I appreciate the point you made earlier, Aaron, about like that this would basically like this would this if this passes the equality, it would actually kind of stifle particular industries and particular professionals in their expertise. For example, in the mental health field, there are counselors, mental health professionals out there who, um, you know, some are being some are of, of their own sort of agenda or their own viewpoint. Right. Helping counsel uh, children teens who experience gender dysphoria, helping to counsel them like, oh, yeah, just, yeah, accept this. And, uh, and But then, so, I, you know, I was recently at a, a conference where the, one of the presenters basically um, through 12 studies that he had looked at, he did a meta-analysis of that um, 75% of the young people um, under the age of 18 who present with gender dysphoria, he said when they, when they are given a uh, watchful waiting kind of approach by parents and the counselors and the mental health professionals, that 75% of them, the gender dysphoria kind of resolves on its own as they go through puberty and mm-hmm. sort of learn and grow with the love uh, of their parents. So there is this element of like, let the professional, like, if you want what's best for your child, if you want what's best for patients in uh, in hospitals or by medical professionals like that that's the goal is wanting what's best for them not yeah, and everybody agrees on i mean that's mm-hmm. the thing is they make it sound like some people are like being malicious by doing the kind of treatment you're talking about it's kind of like everybody wants to help it's just when it comes to mental health how do we not all recognize that, that is such a hugely complex issue that we're even about things that are relatively common like depression we're still learning more and more about that and realizing how little we understand about how the mind works so we can take gender and then to say well here's this whole path of inquiry that's closed off to you how is that good that's not that's just not good for people so robert essentially i mean the the equality act it it's it's pulling the rug out under not just catholic values and the view of the human person, but also this America, the, our fundamental right to religious freedom, religious liberty. Is that, that basically is at the heart of it? I mean, potentially if this was applied to Catholic institutions, schools and hospitals. Sure. And it very well could be via federal funding requirements, um, you know, it, because almost everything has some tie in with federal funding and even financial aid or lunch programs or whatnot. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, so that's, you know, with respect to the schools, the, the healthcare, a whole range of 
charities or even just individuals' ability to use the pronouns they want if they're an individual of not even a faith, but of just of the sense that men and women means men and women. And all of this not only attacks religious liberty in that respect, but the bill exempts itself from the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993, which uh, provides a stronger ground on which litigants seeking to maintain their religious freedom via you know the court system are you know, are able to do so and achieve exemptions or at least have a higher prospects of winning exemptions from from federal law by exempting itself which is an unprecedented move from the religious freedom restoration act the equality act really puts people of faith at such a disadvantage in you know trying to get their uh, their rights heard or at least upheld in in court mm. Well, this is always depressing to talk about um, <laughs> the, the Equality Act, but um, I know you're really busy, Robert, um, so we'll let you go. But I do want to just, you know, to close out, say we do have an action alert up on our webpage, so you can tell your representative, your senators that to say to oppose the Equality Act. We're expecting this to be voted on in the House soon, right? Next week. Is that right? That is the latest rumor. It was, it passed the committee stage uh, last week at the end of April. And the the rumor is now next week, uh, week of May 14th for mm -hmm. a House vote. Unclear if that's going to be uh, stuck to or not. But. Okay. Well, in any event, do check out the website www.usccb.org slash freedom. Uh, you will find our action alert there. Uh, it's in a yellow bo highlighted box. I know our webpage is it's sometimes difficult to read. There's so many so much information there, but right there in the middle, the yellow box, you can take action. There's also a new fact sheet. Uh, check that out. That's also posted there on our homepage. So check out that information. And thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the First Freedom Podcast.